welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. This week's special podcast episode comes to you from right outside of Cardiff, Wales, where Rob recently spoke at an evangelical rally. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thank you, Graham Ellis. If only I had his energy and his enthusiasm. Thank you for that kind introduction and for the reports from Serbia. So encouraging. And I have never heard a finer youth choir (laughs) in my life. And I love the music. It's so wonderful. It's worth coming just to hear you. My uncle, Walter T. Morgan, was the oldest member of our family. He served in World War I. And when I was just a little boy, he told me that our ancestors had come from Wales. And ever since then, I have wanted to visit. And only now have I had the opportunity and to be here in Barrie and in Cardiff and throughout your wonderful country has been a joy for me. And how many believers I've met, young and old and enthusiastic for the Lord. And the music, as we've heard tonight, is so tremendous. I wrote a a book many years ago, actually a series of books called then sings my soul on the history behind the great hymns. And I was very intrigued with your evangelist and songwriter, hymnist, William Williams, who wrote the song that we sang tonight, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. And during the Wesley revival in in the 1700s, as you know, he traveled about 100,000 miles from one end of Wales to the other and all through the countryside and along the coast. He preached to crowds 10,000 and above. He wrote over 100 hymns, well, actually over 1,000 hymns, but over 100 that you can still find somewhere today. And the message that drove him and all of the others was the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a message that has a rich history, not only in this country, but all the way around the world and all the way back to the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is explained in the book of Romans. And I want to read just a few verses with you or for you from the book of Romans chapter one. And I'm going to read, this is the prologue of Romans, I'm not going to read it all, but I want to read to you the first four verses and then verses 16 and 17, and I'll say just a few words about them. But Romans begins by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, 
but who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and to the Gentile. For in the gospel, uh, righteousness from God is revealed the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, for it is written, the just shall live by faith. There are three things for you here in this passage that I want to give you. And the first is to tell you that the promise of the gospel is yours. It begins here with a very unusual phrase. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised. It's a gospel that he promised, and he promised it beforehand through the scriptures and by the prophets. And when you're reading the New Testament and you come across the word scripture, it typically means the Old Testament. So what Paul is saying here is that we have been set apart for the gospel which was promised to us in the Old Testament by the prophets. Now, the word gospel is a word that means good news. This organization is good news for everyone. And this good news was promised in advance in the Old Testament by the prophets before it ever appeared in Galilee and Judea in the form of Jesus Christ. And so when you read the Old Testament, everything there is about Jesus. And this is one of the reasons why I believe the Bible with all of my heart and with all of my mind. I could teach to you and preach to you and share with you every aspect of the birth and the life and the personality and the ministry and the miracles and the parables, and the death, and the resurrection, and the ascension, and the return of Jesus Christ, and never get out of the Old Testament. It is all in those Old Testament books given to us prophetically in advance. And there's no way to explain it except the Holy Spirit came on the prophets and gave them the information in advance so that when Jesus came, we would know that he was who he said he was. And another reason why I believe the Bible is because of its unity from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Even though it was written by over 40 men and over a period of 14 or 1500 years in 66 installments in three different languages on three different continents, Yet it all comes together as one book and one story with one great hero, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ. And this promise is for you. The promise of the gospel is yours. And secondly, the person of the gospel is yours. It says in verse 2, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son, who, 
as to his earthly nature was a descendant of David, but who by the Holy Spirit was raised with power and declared to be the Son of God. Now, this is something that I didn't understand until I was 19 years old. I grew up in church. I had good teachers. I had a wonderful pastor. I had godly parents. But for some reason, I never really understood exactly who Jesus Christ was. And one day in the dormitory at Columbia Bible College in South Carolina, the fellow across the hall, Joe Medina, said to me, can you tell me who Jesus Christ is? And I said, well, yes, he's my savior and he's my Lord. And Joe said, well, that's not who he is. That's what he's done for you. And I said, well, he's the Messiah. And Joe said, that's not who he is. That's his title. But who is he? And I discovered that I couldn't tell him who Jesus was, even though I was a believer. And he said, Jesus is the God-man. He is fully human, and yet he is fully God, and he has those two natures in one personality. So when someone asks you, he is both God and man. He is the God-man. And I had never really understood that before. Jesus had to be God Almighty. And the Bible calls him God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, it says about Jesus. Because only God is pure enough and big enough and strong enough and everlasting enough to pull us out of our sins and to forgive them and to give us everlasting life and to take us to heaven. And Isaiah, the Lord said, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior besides me. But he had to be a man in order to die and to shed his blood for atonement and for the forgiveness of sins. And he had to be a perfect man without any sin, and it's by his blood shed on the cross that we can be reconciled to God and have a relationship with God. There's a lot about that that I don't fully understand. There's something about that that is a mystery, and yet we can understand it, that God is on one side, Jesus Christ is in the middle, we are on the other side, and it's our Lord Jesus Christ that brings us together. And Paul said he was a human being who descended from David, but yet he was declared to be with power the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. He is both God and man. And so the promise of the gospel is yours, and the person of the gospel is yours, and finally, the power of the gospel is yours. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Gentile, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God, that is a way to be declared righteous before God, 
has been introduced to us, and it's not by works, because none of us can be good enough to work our way or earn our way to heaven. It is by faith alone. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is his gift so that we would never boast about getting to heaven or having a relationship with God or being a good person. So many people think they're going to heaven because they're trying to live a good life. But you come to a certain point when you realize that no matter how good you try to be, I have weaknesses, I have failures, I have things that I regret, I have embarrassments in my life, and only the power of the cross of Christ can cancel those things out, make us righteous in God's sight, and enable us to have eternal life. It is by grace through faith, and that's why we're not ashamed of it. We'll shout it from the rooftops. We'll shout it from the mountains. Now, this power can change lives. It's changed the lives of many people in Wales. You know the great revival in 1904 with Evan Roberts, and I've read about it and studied about it, and many of you have told me about it. And my Uncle Walter told me that at the same time in the mountains of eastern Tennessee where I grew up, that my own grandfather, who was a preacher, I never met him. He died in 1918. But he was a mountain preacher that that same year, 1904, 1905, those were the most fruitful years of his ministry because God was doing something not just in Wales, but around the world in 1904 and 1905. And I believe that millions of people came to the Lord during this worldwide revival. We need another one. But even if there's not a great worldwide revival, there can be individual revivals as people come to know him as Savior. And we're praying for revival. You know, wherever I go right now, I'm discovering there are an awfully lot of young people, young adults, teenagers, who are just as zealous for Jesus Christ as any other generation ever has been. And I'm so encouraged by that. And I've seen them here in the UK. And I've seen many times in America and in other places what God is doing. But the Lord changes our lives one at a time. And it's wonderful to see. I had a friend in Texas whose name was Jerry Horn. And he would go to the prison in one of those great cities in Texas. And he would give out New Testaments. And he told me on one occasion that he went to a prison. He had given a man the week before a New Testament. And the man said the next week, I need another one. Look at what has happened. And he held up the New Testament and it was only the covers. All of the contents were gone. Jerry said, what happened to the inside of your Bible? He said, well, this paper is very good for smoking. And I pulled it out and rolled tobacco in it and I smoked all of the pages, and I need another New Testament. Jerry said, well, I'll give you another one, but you've got to promise to read it and not to smoke it. And he said, I gave him another one, and that man 
began reading his New Testament, and his life was so thoroughly changed that when he got out of prison, he went to Bible college, became a pastor, and he is still serving the Lord today. Now, only the gospel has the power to do that. I do a great deal with an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship. They're in many, many, almost all of the nations of the world, and they focus on reaching children with the gospel. Some of you may be familiar with that. And in Russia, they had a correspondence program, and children could fill out a Bible lesson and send it in, and people would study it and write comments on it and say encouraging things and send it back with another lesson. And the child would do the second lesson and send it in and get a third lesson. So in Russia, in this particular CEF headquarters, a letter started coming from a seven-year-old boy. And he filled out the first Bible lesson and it showed a great deal of study and interest and he sent it in and they sent him another one, and he sent that one in, and they sent another one, and he studied and filled it out. And when he came to lesson number six, there was a question there, have you received or would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? And in the Child Evangelism Fellowship office, that lesson came back, and it said, yes, I have prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior because of what I have learned from the Bible and these lessons, but now I've got to tell you the truth. I am not a seven-year-old boy. I'm a 71-year-old man. But I've found Christ as my Savior. Whether you're seven or 71 or whatever age, it's the power of the gospel that comes in and changes our lives and makes us new. And if there is any person here who has never made that life-changing decision for Christ, then I would encourage you before you go to bed at night, even on this very evening, to kneel down by your bed and to say, Dear Lord, I repent of my sins. I'm willing to turn from them. I want to become serious about my faith and follow Jesus Christ because the promise of the gospel is mine, the person of the gospel is mine, the power of the gospel is mine, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Well, may the Lord bless you in what you are doing here. May he bless good news for everyone. May he send a great revival to Wales and to the UK and to America and all around the world. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel, but from the mountaintops and the rooftops, may we say, Jesus saves. He is Lord. He alone is Christ and Savior. And we give him all we have. In the words of another great Welsh hymn, in heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And safe is such confiding, for nothing changes here. The storm may rage without me, my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me.
and can I be dismayed? Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and may God bless you, everyone.